kind of start off where he left off last week um, with the Dr. Tony Campolo quote, uh, just to reiterate, it's uh, his quote is, the major problem of this culture is not the gay issue, it's not the abortion issue, as important as these are, the thing that's going to destroy evangelical Christianity in the next 25 years, and it will, is its will- willingness to be at home with the commercialism and with the consumerism of our society. Our kids are growing up as consumers, not as people who are committed to the mission of God in this world. Dr. John Perkins agreed with this by saying prosperity is the biggest part of our faith right now. Do you guys agree with these quotes by Dr. Campolo and Perkins? I do. I do agree. I think he he is speaking something that I've long believed as well. That yes, the biggest threat that the church faces in our American culture is our wholehearted em- embracing of concepts of consumerism, which is basically that our it's an economic thing, right? Consumerism it means it's a belief that our system, our society will work best, our economy will work best if if people buy an ever increasing amount of goods and what have you from others. But what it means is that you tra- you're training people to be constantly seeking the next purchase, constantly reaching out for the next um, toy to make themselves feel better. And uh, and that's where it becomes a problem, when you're training people to be those that go out and purchase a product that will make them feel better for a moment. And when the feeling dies, they have to then go search for the next product. And I think that's where it becomes a problem for the church, because people will treat church the same way they treat their their uh, their needs in society. They'll go out and, and sample different churches for a product, and when they find something that seems to satisfy them, they'll stick with it. But as soon as the feeling fades, they're programmed to go search for the next the next fix, as it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with it as well. I think that <clears throat> that movie about Field of Dreams ruined a lot of churches and pastors because it was like if we build it they will come and it spawned this whole (laughs) whole movement of purchasing properties and building buildings and building programs and all kinds of things with the guys that we're going to reach people because if we'll build it they will come and then when the economy started changing and things started crashing and money started drying up and churches, church attendance started dwindling, uh, I think a lot of people were really had realized that that was maybe not so much a, it was a field of dreams, but it, you know, it was maybe the wrong dream. A, a verse that's been haunting me for some time now has been the, uh, Lord, didn't didn't we speak in tongues and cast out demons in your name and we did all this ministry in your name and Jesus is saying, yeah, but I never knew you. And I just have really been thinking a lot lately about what the Bible says he's called me to do and what the Bible has called, what Jesus, his last instructions to the church really were, but yet what are we really doing? Uh, in the church today 
And uh, the idea of consumerism, uh, we've, I mean, we are inundated with it. We have become quite the shoppers, and the Internet has just made it so easy to make sure we're getting the biggest bang for our buck. We're getting the things that we absolutely want and need. We're aware in seconds of the best things that are out there. And because of that, that's changed culture. I mean, and changed our church culture. It used to be that you just went to church at the little country church that was right there in your neighborhood that you could drive your buggy to or ride your horse to or walk to. And so it created an environment of family and community. And we live in a day and an age, and especially in America, because there's so much wealth and so much money here, the church is done really, really differently than it used to be, and actually done really, really differently than it was done in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. That's alarming. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, uh, on Sunday, you had mentioned this idea of pragmatism, and if you wouldn't mind, just take a second and ex- explain that again. I think that is just really good, and I think uh, it helps us tackle this subject today. Right, right. Yeah, pragmatism is related to consumerism and materialism in this sense, that if you're pragmatic, you evaluate the success or failure of something based upon your judgment of whether it appears to work or not. And so the philosophy is if something works, then it must have been the right thing to do. And if something fails, then it must have been the wrong thing to do. (coughs) And that's that's a very American way of thinking. In fact, a lot of our, our history can be analyzed in that sense. And, and part of our entrepreneurial spirit as Americans comes from that desire to, or that willingness to give up on something that's not working and, and start working on something that's right. Yeah. But where it becomes a problem is, is, is on what basis do you evaluate whether something works or not? And if it's all appearance-based then it can lead you into problems. And consumerism ties into that because in order for consumerism to work, you constantly have to uh, improve the services that you're giving in order to get somebody to spend more money. You're constantly having to upgrade the product in order to... If you have a computer, for example, and the computer works, what motive would you have to buy a new computer? Well, the motive has to be if (coughs) the new computer is better. Yeah, faster, or faster can do something more, or or toothpaste. If you have toothpaste, why would you need to go out and buy another toothpaste? Well, now they've got thirty different varieties, so that you have an endless selection, and you can constantly buy the next best thing that comes out. Well, if you're a pragmatist, if you believe that if something appears to work, then it must be right, then you you fall into consumerism so fast because something is always shinier and newer and better than what you had before. Louder and longer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's the grass is always greener. You know, the next best thing is always better. And so you'll quickly get caught up in always trying to find the next best thing for your life. But what, I mean, if something works, then it must be right. Wouldn't that hold you back from going to the new thing? Like if you have the toothpaste that works, why would you buy the next big thing? Well, because if the new one works better, then it must be more right. Yes, and see, that's exactly what the problem is. Because the contrast of pragmatism, and the way Matt said it on Sunday, was uh, 
pragmatism is dead, long live obedience. And I think that's the other side of the coin. The other side of the pragmatism coin is, is not even the other side of the coin. I correct that. It's, it's the antithesis. It's the opposite of is, is obedience. Like we've been talking about toothpaste and computers and stuff. Is it okay? And can we talk for a second about what are the, what are the consumerism aspects of the church in America? Let's just say the church in right. America. We won't mention any churches by name or anything like that, but the church in America as whole compared to third world country churches. Right. Like, I don't know if you guys saw it, the uh, uh, John uh, Rusk posted on Facebook a picture and it said simple church and it was a little hut with logs on the floor that people were sitting on and there was a guy sitting there and what struck me with the photo photograph he said simple church it was an empty church building and you could tell people gathered there for worship and stuff but what struck me was the guy sitting there was apparently the pastor there praying, but he was all dressed in Western attire. Western attire. When I Western, I don't mean cowboys, cowboy suit. I mean he was wearing like you know designer dress slacks and you know like old school. He looked like he had just come, you know, from uh, a conservative Bible college of some kind. But anyway, I mean, what are some of the ways that we see consumerism? unleashed the fury of consumerism released in the church in America I would I would say from the con- the average congregation member one of the great dangers facing the church is the concept of of church hopping where people don't consider themselves part of a family which is or you know an or- an organism a body a, ch- a body of Christ they are constantly evaluating their desire to go to church against what the church is providing for them. You know, what goods and services does it provide that will fill my need? So, for example, one of the common ex- things that I that I see is people will say, well, if there's no youth group, say, well, I need something for my kids. My kids need something provided for them. So if you can't do that, I'll go to find a church that suits their needs. And they'll they'll decide whether to go to a church or not based upon that. Well, I don't mean to say that that's the wrong basis for evaluation. But the problem with that, if you buy into that philosophy, is that you'll always find a youth group that does things better than the one that you're currently attending. And there'll be one down the street that provides more video games and louder music and more activities. And so at what stage does that process end? Yeah. You might spend the rest of your day hopping from church to church as somebody else figures out a way to do something better and flashier than the yeah. previous church. Yeah. And so it is a, it's a road. Any one decision, you have to evaluate, of course, on whether it's the right thing for your family. But, yeah. but the path that you go down following that logic is a very slippery path. Yeah. Hey, uh, that's an excellent example of the youth group or the children's ministry, or I want to make sure that they have the best worship band possible, or I want to make sure that the pastor is the best public orator I've ever heard. Yeah, or, or best coffee and, or, and or food. The, or the best Starbucks setup, or the nicest building, or I want to make sure that there's no problem with me getting in and out of the parking lot. All those things. And it's like, is there a verse anywhere 
do I, I don't recall Jesus ever, ever saying anything about it. Now, what I want to, you to do is I want to make sure that after you've gotten saved, you, you find a church that you can drive to that has the best program for your teenager because, you know, teenagers are hard to deal with. They're hard to, they're, they're a handful. And you know what? If you have, they have a really good children's year, you should start dealing with that teenage thing when they're still like six, seven, and eight, you know? Or, or, you know, that was not part of it all. Yet, it is so much part of the American church going experience now. Yeah. Totally not Bible based at all. No. And then the companion problem to that is that when the leaders start to recognize these excuses people are giving for leaving, they then feel that their only course of action is to try to combat and provide whatever it is that people are looking for. And then they get caught in an endless cycle of how do we get better? How do we drum up more money to provide a better uh, experience? You know, and, and suddenly everything becomes facility oriented, program oriented, yeah. glitz, glamour and comfort oriented. And more than anything, I would say it's the comfort issue that sets off alarm bells in my mind. If, if that's your motive for going to church, where do I feel most comfortable? It's probably the church that's doing the least for you spiritually. Yeah. Because God never said that this life would be easy. Jesus never promised that we would be able to rise above all the challenges of this life. And he calls us to go to people that are hurting and into situations that are uncomfortable to be a light in the darkness for those that need it. Yeah. And the two cannot coexist comfortably in the church. That's really great. It's like Jesus said, go, but modern church culture, consumer driven Americanized Christianity, the message is not go, the message is come. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, it's like, wow, how do we make those adjustments? Uh, the second wave of hurt and heartache and pain and problems, what you're mentioning is the idea of the competition becomes so fierce for parishioners that men begin to compromise their integrity. They, men, they begin to compromise their ideals. <clears throat> because after all, they have a staff they have to think about. And they have a building expense and a property expense they have to deal with. And the pressure on some of these men or these groups of men, it's usually men and groups of men, uh, the pressure that's on them to make sure that financially we're able to pay the mortgage, pay the bills, pay the salaries, take care of the staff, all those things becomes really, really hard. Yeah. And you spend your time then providing better and better products, be it a Sunday morning experience, be it a book series, be it a you know DVD series, whatever it is, you have Great. to spend your time producing better and better products to convince people they have to keep spending more and more money to support what's going on. Horrible, horrible cycle to get into. And that's kind of goes back to the podcast we did about Christian market or the Christian marketing marketing or Christian. You know, we get these magazines at the church with all the newest books and the Christian bookstores 
there's a whole genre, the Christian genre of music, reading, small group study. It's a whole, and like you said, when, and I think the younger generation may or may not be, but very much so, if any, because I can speak for it myself, can tell when they're trying to be sold something. And when you walk, I mean, and that, and that was, I don't want to jump, I mean, that was the whole podcast of is it right or wrong or whatnot, but you definitely are trying to be sold something, and it definitely puts you off. Because I don't personally, and I know I'm different in this, but I don't know a lot of the newest books and newest music that comes out in Christian music. Like, I'm really surprised. Like, we were talking about Need to Breathe and how we really like them. They're like a top, like, selling Christian band. Yeah, and you didn't like, realize. We devote our lives to music. Like, I mean, before everything, before you know, all the things that I do... I'm not saying this is right. This is right, but I would say my my personal interest is worship and music and reading worship and that that genre. And here's a band that has uh, been around for how many years? Multi platinum. I've never even heard of them, and which goes to show that I don't really listen to what the new Christian thing is. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but well, here's where you're going. You're what you're where you're going to is is what. It, People know, but are afraid to talk about that young people in say like the 15 through 30 year old age group, young people are abandoning the church and the churches that they're leaving are the ones that are consumer driven and, or who have gotten their principles mixed up. And that's why consumerism is so dangerous because it alters your principles. You become you become trying to sell people on something instead of inviting them into things. You become a church that tries to draw people in instead of going out to where they are. It, it changes the very purpose yeah. of the kingdom of God and what Jesus assigned us to. And it can, it's a subtle thing, and it can be overlooked. We young people and young at heart people, we have grown up in a consumer society, and we recognize instinctively without people having to tell us when we're being sold on a product and we're tired of consumerism we've been bombarded with it since the day we were born and we're sick of it and we recognize it instantly and it's driving people out of the church young people because they see it i think i think there are a lot of discussions in church council meetings and on church staffs that are similar to the discussion we're having today. Good. Because I, and I think it's very good also because I think God is trying to do something new for some reason, the eighties and the nineties and the early two thousands, maybe it was because of the wealth. I don't know what all it was, but all kinds of things happened that seemed to, you know, to bring it back to the idea of pragmatism uh, we measured success on nickels and noses. We, you know, how many butts were in the seats, how many people were attending, how much money was coming in the offerings. Because after all, if if people are flocking to it, it's successful. If Must people right. are giving money to it, it's successful. But I think there is a new brand of leadership that's emerging in the church. You hear more and more people like Francis Chan or there's just different people that are starting to to speak up and there's conferences now that guys are starting to get together and say wait a second uh, why are we doing this 
really, who are we doing this for? And I think that it all begins to come down to how we're measuring our success. And one of the things that we say around here is, you know, our only measure of success is going to be obedience. And we hold each other to that. And we're talking to each other about that. And we're encouraging each other with that. And I think that's part of what God is wanting to do in the church. I think that's why a lot of great big ministries are blowing up and and people that are compromising uh, integrity and stuff are going down and it's becoming public. And uh, I think God wants to break some of that down, the whole political thing. The quote that you read earlier, Matt, about, uh, you know, political parties are starting to realize that Young instead, of, instead yeah. of going for the church vote, uh, what was that quote? Do you remember how it went? It was that churches are finally admitting that that young evangelicals are leaving conservative churches, churches that take a very public conservative stance. <clears throat> and it's because they're dissatisfied with hearing that message. They're not abandoning God, but they're abandoning the church. And so... Politically, people have to be aware of that, that maybe it's not churches that they have to reach out to anymore. The landscape is is shifting. Yeah. And, you know, the church has a lot of problems, and it doesn't matter whether it's politics or or um, selling of goods and services or, or youth group. Whenever you get into that cycle of, of aligning yourself with things that aren't, don't stand, that aren't the same as the kingdom of God, and you try and have to sell people on that, you're going to turn people off because we shouldn't be selling Jesus Christ. Yeah. We shouldn't be selling ideals and principles. We should be living them out and then people see that they make a difference. They yeah. see the value of them. That goes back to the original question. Why is consumerism more important an issue right now than the church's stance on abortion or homosexuality or any of these other deeply moral things? And the answer is because people don't trust the church anymore. They don't trust what the church stands for. So we could speak for as long as we like on the issue of abortion, and most people will turn a deaf ear because the church hasn't been able to live according to the principles that it should stand for. And so it's lost its, its position. It's lost its right, its authority to be able to speak on moral issues. Yeah, yeah. If we're going to make changes, if God is going to use the church to change as an agent of change, like leaven in bread, like the yeast that causes the leaven of society, you know, the loaf of bread to rise or, you know, salt or light not being hidden under a bushel basket. If we're going to have some effect, then it's going to take people standing up everywhere and saying, Let's do this instead. And the hard part is who has the most to lose by doing that. And we've almost built in this, you know, the idea of consumerism consumerism in the church and large churches with big payments and big staffs. Who has the most to lose? Everybody that's associated with that. You know, that's why it, one, of the sti- one of the statistics are that most churches in America are less than 100 people. It's a huge amount. I don't even know what the new number is, but it's been talked about for years. 
I almost think smaller churches have a better chance at actually returning to obedience and obeying the word of Jesus Christ. And rather than focusing so much on come, focusing on go, rather than focusing on programs that will make our church more entertaining, we start working on programs that take us out into the community and interfacing with people and living our lives in Christ amongst other people. Jesus came to dwell among them. And as we learn how to do those things, I just think that maybe that's part of the groundswell movement that God could use uh, to yeah. make some change. Absolutely. It should start with us. We don't have the organizational structure and machinery to try and correct and navigate. So we'll be able to, we are in the position, smaller churches, of being mobile and flexible yeah. and adaptable to the new conditions. And, yeah. and that's going to be our great advantage yeah. if we seize it. Yeah, if we seize it. And there's going to be men and women everywhere that those words of Jesus will haunt them until they walk in obedience to it. I've heard stories of people, of pastors who said, you know what, the building payment was crushing us because of the economy. Uh, People moved away from our city and our town and we lost parishioners and it was killing us. So you know what we did? We sold it. We sold it and we got out from underneath it and we started meeting in homes. And there's all kinds of creative ways to continue to advance the kingdom of God for people who have that heart for the kingdom of God building his kingdom and not building their kingdom or the the church kingdom. And there's a difference between the two. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of an, another interesting sign that consumerism has rotted the heart of the American church. And it's it's this principle that there are actually now more missionaries coming to America from other parts of the world than there are missionaries being sent from America. And it's it, that has not always been the way, but now it's it's completely necessary yeah. because other people can from the outside they can clearly see that yeah. there is a problem. Yeah, and they're sending people to help. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad they're sending people to help. Yeah. So that's consumerism. I think we've been talking about it at the church level. But what about what's the opposite of consumerism in our personal lives? Being a minimalist or <laughs> is that, I'm, you know, I love that. You talked about it at the church level, but yeah. what about in my life? I don't run a church. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think minimalism is excellent. Uh, minimalism is actually something I've been reading and studying and and doing, actually doing in my life. Getting rid of things, going through. Uh, the things that I don't use. Uh, there are a lot of different concepts with minimalism. There, You can do an internet search on it and you'll find all kinds of blogs devoted to it. But the idea is so that we can spend our time doing the things that really count and really mean something. We're not so drawn away into other things. Entertainment is one of the big, huge things. Uh, you know, that saps us away from having time to pray or read the Bible or interface with people and be with people. Entertainment. So at the personal level, I would say one of the things we should look at and ask God to talk to us about is our entertainment. Another thing would be our 
possessions. Because ultimately, consumerism is a selfish pursuit. It's all about getting things that you need. And so the answer to that is do whatever it takes to be content with what you have and consider the needs of others as more important. To have a sense of purpose and guidance in your life and break that selfishness. And yes, entertainment is a huge, huge draw for people that need to have their, their themselves gratified by, by being entertained is, is a huge drain on our time and our resources. I think TVs are so (laughs) a staple, like people don't even want to talk about removing the TV anymore. That's just crazy. Yeah. And That's crazy, Todd. I was telling we, me and Matt were talking to you last week or the week before. I was I visited home recently and just been to people's houses, and it just seemed like no matter what the age group, once like six o'clock hit, like you can go to almost like ninety percent of the houses, and everybody's watching TV. That's what you do. That's the evening. Yeah, everybody. I mean, at evening, and some, most people during the day. But I mean, without a doubt, everybody would sit around and watch TV, and that's what they do. Uh, my grandparents, they watch TV most of the day. I mean, that's nothing wrong with it. That's what they do. They watch TV. They're going to watch TV. Um, but it becomes, I mean, that can't be good. (laughs) (laughs) Like that can't be good to have your TV on every night. And that's what you do. You watch TV. And I mean, I guilty of it myself, but I'm starting to realize like, that's like I said, it can't be good. Yeah. It's one of those things that. The more you do, the more you need to do because you sense, you sense, people sense that it's not fulfilling them. It's not providing what they need, what they think it's providing. And it's almost like an addictive thing where, well, then you have to have more to be satisfied. Um, Do you know that I've read stories of people that are stuck in the desert and they have no water to drink, yet they have radiator fluid. And they, uh, this is a strange way to approach it. Their only source of liquid is radiator fluid. Their car broke down. And they will drink that eventually. They'll get to a stage where they'll, they'll drink that. But it won't satisfy their thirst. So they'll drink more of it because it's the only liquid they have available. And they'll keep drinking more and more until they poison themselves by taking something that has the appearance of being what they need, but isn't right. I I guess a more common example would be seawater. You know, someone stranded at sea. They know they can't drink seawater. They know it doesn't quench their thirst. It does more harm than good. But they will get to a stage if they're not rescued and they have no other choice. Well, somebody will take a sip. And once you've taken a sip, you'll drink more and you'll drink more and you'll drink more in order to try and quench your thirst. Mm. And you no longer are in the position to realize that the thing you think is satisfying you is actually destroying killing you, you, killing you. Yeah. And unfortunately, entertainment has that same uh, problem in our lives. Yeah. We will buy into it to fill a need, but then we'll get so used to that that we'll need to up the ante. We need to go further. We need more. It needs to be more sensationalist. It needs to be more graphic in order to satisfy that same desire that we had for entertainment and gratification. And before you know it, it's all consuming and it will destroy. So it's neither good nor bad. I mean, radiator fluid has a purpose. Yeah. Seawater has a purpose. Yeah. Entertainment has a purpose. Yeah. But if it becomes all consuming, it will destroy. Yeah. 
What were you thinking about, John, when you asked the question? Uh, it was just an observation. Just that I watched too much TV. <laughs> <laughs> You're feeling a little conviction? No. I wasn't feeling like conviction yeah. until you brought it up. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, bro. But it's true. Thank you for bringing it up. But then you, then you see a lot of people, I battle this in my own family, you get the mindset of, well, six o'clock rolls around, it's time for bed. Well, not, no, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's time to settle down for the evening and yeah. just hunker down and, yeah. no, no, it's not. Why? Yeah. You've got lots of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much television do we actually have to watch? Yeah. It's just, it's just worth asking sometimes. And, yeah. you know, if you, if I've been trying to do things with my family where we get out in the evenings, spend time outside, we walk the dog as a family, we yeah. go visit something and you realize, oh, I had a lot of time and yeah. I didn't realize. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strange mindset. Yeah. The, you think you don't have time or energy and it's really just a mental yeah. barrier that you have to overcome. Yeah. The advent of the VCR created the, uh, culture commonly referred to sometimes as cocooning yeah that's a good word for it come home come home from work you know now we have movies in little boxes you know that was that was back when the the vcr thing hit you know now look how far advanced we are we watch movies through netflix on our iphones now (laughs) yeah the internet's a close second and first in a lot of people's lives yeah or both at the same time yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're really into, you can watch TV and do the internet at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're really good, watch the great video on TED.com by a psychologist talking about stimulation addiction, and it's a huge problem in society, especially amongst young men, te- uh, young men that are now you know growing up into their twenties and what have you. Stimulation addiction. Me it's like, not not me, a sexual. Me thing. like guys that are constantly uh, reading text messages and. Yeah, people that have grown up playing video games in one hand, watching TV with one eye, you know, having music blaring at the same time. It's stimulation addiction. They need to have constant, constant stimulation of their senses. Wait, I thought that was called ADD. (laughs) I don't believe in ADD. (laughs) As a teacher in the classroom, I don't believe in ADD. (laughs) I believe in discipline at the home. Yeah. I referred to that just the other day in a conversation, that TED video. It's really... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Philip Zambrano, Stimulation Addiction. It's the name of that great, fascinating guy. Yeah. But it's a real it's a real problem. Yeah. He, said, he talks about how people's brains are being rewired and by all the TV, the digital input of, of, and the wall of noise that yeah. they're associated with. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, but it's it's causing a change, and that change is never handled well at first. It might yeah. you know, work itself yeah. out over yeah. time, and we become adapted to it and, and can accommodate it, but right now it's causing problems. Yeah. One of the things that a minimalist talk about is sitting and watching, and just the idea of what does it take to actually shut down, to sit down and meditate, how hard is it to say, I'm just going to, I just read some Bible verses maybe, or I spent some time in prayer and now I just want to sit and think because prayer is not necessarily just about always talking. It's really about listening. Yeah. You know? So how hard is it? And I'm saying it's hard for me to sit and say, I'm just going to listen now. I'm going to sit and I'm going to sit here, God, as long as it takes to hear from you because I really want to hear what you want to say to me 
Say it to me now. You know, I want to hear what you're saying to me right now about today. And it's like, oh man, I better check this. Oh, oh, I was gonna look at it. Oh, I better write this down before I forget it. Oh, I, you know, or, or you know, it's hard. It's very difficult. Or a family member wants to share and talk, or you know, whatever it is. You know, it's hard to do that. Yeah, I, I just heard a guy say that in our right now, like statistics show that people are generally getting more lazy, you know, unhappy, unhappiness in America is on the rise, basically. Yeah. So yeah, depression's on the rise. Depression's on the rise. People are not as happy as they always were, or it's just slowly going up. But on the contrast, um, things that should make you happy are are at our fingertips now. So like, what what were you saying? Like, uh, Mm -hmm stimulation of, of your mind or whatever, things that make you feel good are more accessible than ever before through iPhones and computers and the internet. Things that would know, you know, it would never have even been thought of are now at your fingertips. So it's not by coincidence. Why, why, why would depression go up as well if things that make us not depressed go up? Because when you're saturated with something, what made you happy one day isn't enough the next. Right. Yeah. And so you're, you, you become driven to, to exploring more and more experiencing more and more. And it becomes such a, a, a a draw, a a suck, suck, (laughs) a a vacuum, a sinkhole, a sinkhole, a vacuum in your life that, that pulls you in you you realize subconsciously and some people realize it consciously eventually that they're no longer in control of their own lives they're no longer determining for themselves what they can do they are at the beck and call of the things that are providing or filling that need yeah. and so they have to go deeper they get driven to experiencing more and it could be a totally innocent thing but when you get into that cycle of needing more of it to make yourself feel better, it becomes your master. Yeah. I know uh, disconnecting from those distractions is sometimes the only way to do it. Like I, I have found that for me, uh, I, I go for a walk or a bike ride every day, uh, take my dog out, and I used to listen to podcasts while I was out. And then I realized one day, because I didn't have my earphones or whatever it was, the quietness of walking or riding my bike was actually kind of refreshing. And so lately what I've been doing is I haven't been listening to a podcast or to music, you know, the soundtrack of some music going over and over and over in my mind, but actually thinking, just thinking and watching sitting and watching or walking and thinking and, it, and it's really refreshing. It's like, the, you know, if I'm feeling kind of blue or depressed or whatever, I know that if I go for a walk, that helps me just getting out from the TV or the routine or whatever, whatever it is, just going out for a walk, taking the dog out for a walk or like what you were saying, Matt, trying to get the family out and going and doing something, you know, mm-hmm. I know that's helpful. Yeah. 
Um, I've become to realize more and more that too that that the way that God operates in our lives and the way our lives are structured is that there are seasons. And James, you've spoken about that, and I've seen it more and more. Things are seasonal in our lives, and there's a day of plenty, there's a day of lack, and or a season of lack. And we should learn how to be content. But sometimes we have to be conscious that we can't be constantly doing the same thing. It's not good for us. We need to take a break sometimes from these things. And so it's never about the stuff. The stuff is never the question. It's not that we shouldn't argue about whether TV is good or bad or whether movies are good or bad. It's completely irrelevant. It's are you in control of yourself? And can you take a break from something? In order to experience something else, yeah. experience a new season and be content with that. Yeah. Can you walk through? I mean, I'll walk with God. There, there are highs and lows. And we, yeah. if we're pragmatic and if we're consumer, we don't understand the lows. Because the lows don't seem to work. It doesn't seem to be right. Yeah. Or we misread what that low means. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we think God's judged us or something. When the truth is, we learn more. We, yeah. it, Everybody knows you learn more. In difficult times than you do when everything's right, yeah. and so we should we should be experiencing seasons in our life. That's I think that's what what lies at the heart of fasting and denying yourself certain things. It's about getting control over stuff and not letting stuff control you, yeah. and it's about experiencing the life of God in its mm-hmm. entirety, yeah. totality, and not. Not just the parts that make us feel good. Yeah. So we have to embrace that as a church. Why? Two, at the individual level, national level, corporate level, church level. Yeah. You know, we we don't run endless Bible studies that have no start or finish date on them because things are seasonal. It's yeah. good for a time, yeah. and when the time's done, we do something different. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of an approach that. I believe helps us feel the rhythms of God a little bit more. He's doing something today. It's good for now. When he's ready to do something else, so will we. That's obedience, not pragmatism. Yeah. To every season, there's a turning. Yeah. We have to maintain this by coming up with something grander and brighter and shinier. Yeah. Louder and longer. Yeah. This is a call to all the dead and disappointed. To feel like they are done This is a word to all the ones Who feel forgotten And you are not Oh, you are not Cause we're alive, alive, alive And we're singing We're alive, alive, alive And we're shaking Rising like the sun on the horizon and 